This is The Guardian. Today, the Grenfell Inquiry is entering its final stage, investigating the role of government and politicians in the tragedy. What will it mean for the family seeking justice? So one turns really to a, a section, uh, and I'm, I'm skipping over foreign fires, lacrosse, and all the other ones that come in the list. For over four uh, years, um, away from the occasional headlines, this is what the Grenfell Tower inquiry has sounded like. As recently as the 29th of October, Kingspan's solicitors wrote to the inquiry... Dry, technical, complicated. By way of overview, from 1957 onwards, responsibility for building regulations and housing... But some people have listened to almost every minute. Tiago Alves, a university student, escaped from his home on that night in June 2017, leaving the 13th floor of Grenfell Tower with his mother, his father and younger sister. He's been following the inquiry ever since. When the inquiry first started, it was difficult to kind of leave it without listening to it. It was difficult to, to do other things because of the emotions and the struggles that I was dealing with at the time just made it so that I had to be involved and I had to be there and I had to be listening. Kareem Musili lost his uncle to the fire. I mean, it's been extremely difficult, I'm not going to lie. Five years has gone by so quickly, but at the same time, I don't even remember what my life was like before Grenfell. We have a life before Grenfell and after Grenfell, and you've almost forgot what it's like, how things were before, because this has been our lives since the 14th of June 2017. After hundreds of witnesses and hundreds of thousands of documents disclosed, the Grenfell inquiry is finally moving into its last stages. In its effort to find out how the fire happened and how it could take 72 lives, today the inquiry turns to the politicians in power in the years before Grenfell. For Kareem and Tiago, it's a chance to see those in government put in the spotlight and cross-examined about their responsibility for the tragedy. So <clears throat> there's going to be a few people that are going to be taking to the stand. I want to find out and I want to know more about how much they knew. But not only that, the details of the relationships that some of these individuals from our government have with some of these individuals from these corporations. What I think that they should do is be completely honest. If we have politicians taking the stand but not answering the question, then I don't know what the point of, of, of this inquiry was in the first place. From The Guardian, I'm Nosheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, will politicians finally be held to account over the Grenfell tragedy? Robert Booth, you're The Guardian's social affairs correspondent and you've been reporting on the Grenfell inquiry from the very beginning. Now, nearly five years since that tragedy unfolded in 2017, the inquiry is moving into its final stages. Can you remind us in the first instance what it was originally set up to do? Well, as you say, the inquiry has been going on almost as long as the grieving process has been happening for the bereaved. And the inquiry has been going on since May 2018. We need to know what happened. We need to know, have an explanation of this. We owe that 
to the families, to the people who have lost loved ones, friends and the homes in which they lived. It was set up very quickly after the disaster, which happened on the 14th of June 2017, to essentially find out what had gone wrong to cause the deaths of 72 people. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to this procedural hearing, which I've called in order to enable us to discuss the future progress of the inquiry. One of the lawyers, actually, who's been working on the inquiry said the story of Grenfell is a bit like The Wire, the TV show, which kind of looked at the same issue of that neighbourhood through different lenses in different seasons, you know, from the perspective of the police, it would look at it through the perspective of the courts. And in a way, the inquiry is doing the same thing here. It's having one look after another at the same problem, but through a different lens. Mr Daffan said in the years before the fire, he'd raised multiple complaints about fire safety. We've heard from so many different organisations and so many different people who've been involved in the disaster. We've looked at the way that the council landlord behaved. They didn't treat us with, us with respect or humanity or empathy. And if they had done, we wouldn't be sitting here now. How the builders and the designers operated. Three years before the tragedy, the inquiry heard how it manipulated a fire safety test with extra thick cement panels to make sure it passed. We've looked at the cladding manufacturers, these global companies that produce these combustible materials, the alarming extent to which those material manufacturers knew that their products burned. Did that not strike you at the time as dishonest? Yes, it did, yeah. But you went along with it? Um, I went along with uh, a lot of um, actions at Sudatex that, uh, looking back on reflection, were completely unethical. One of the really important parts of all this is that we've looked at the fire brigade. London's fire brigade has been declared by a public inquiry as simply not good enough. The conclusions were that there was an enormous amount of bravery among fire officers on the ground, but that they simply were not prepared for a cladding fire of this kind. Now, what we're going to be starting to look at is the, the role of successive governments in approaching fire safety in the buildings. And so from today, we start the process of hearing about the role of central government in this inquiry. What is it about the political context in the years before Grenfell that is likely to be the focus of the questioning? We're going to be looking over the next few months at the regulatory framework, the playing fields on which all these different manufacturers and builders were operating, and they were able to game it. How that developed, particularly picking things up in the, the late 80s and the early 90s under the Conservative government, when the movement towards ambiguity in the building regulations began. Today, the Prime Minister revealed his New Year's resolution. In 2012, and this will be a crucial aspect of policy that we're going to be looking at, David Cameron, he made a New Year's resolution, actually, to, quote, kill off health and safety culture for good. One of the key aims of this coalition is to massively reduce the number of rules, laws and regulations that, frankly, treat all of you like idiots. They started to run this strategy of the bonfire of the regulations. There are over 21,000 statutory rules and regulations currently in force in our country. 
and I want us to bring that number and the overall burden of regulation down and fast. This wasn't just about regulations in relation to building safety. This is regulations across the economy. You know, after the recession, they wanted to inject new growth into the economy and stripping regulations back with a bonfire of red tape was going to be the way of doing that. From April the 7th, we're going to publish every single regulation for you to see. So we want to hear from you. Tell us if you think a regulation is just pointless or out of date. Tell us if you think a regulation... This is the first time those in power are going to be cross-examined over Grenfell. How big a moment is this going to be? Well, I hesitate because often the kind of supposedly blockbuster witnesses in these inquiries, it, it's not what they say, it's what you see in the correspondence. It's probably unlikely that we're going to get some sort of startling admission from any of the key current or former ministers who are going to be examined. I think what we will see, though, is correspondence running behind the scenes within government and within the civil service that will probably show, at least this is what the lawyers for the bereaved are saying already, the government had ended up taking a sort of junior role in its relationship with the construction industry. Government's dependency on that industry resulted in, jun in government becoming the junior partner in the relationship, thereby permitting industry's exploitation of the regulations. It was so keen to fuel the house building industry that it was willing really to give them a fairly free hand over regulation. The particular brand of deregulation and dependence on big society involvement instead of adequate regulation enabled industry to write its own rules. Who is going to be coming to give evidence in the coming weeks and what questions will they face? There's three or four crucial government ministers. I mean, if you include David Cameron, who's not coming, <laughs> there's more. But Eric Pickles is probably one of the key ones. We scrapped a lot of the mindless bureaucracy, the excessive form films, the clipboard culture that really your lives. He was the cabinet minister in charge of building safety, essentially, from 2010 to 2015. And in that period, the coroner gave a report on six deaths at Lacanal House, which was a council block in Southwark, where there was a fire. It's been described by the London Fire Brigade as a unique fire. It's certainly one of the worst in peacetime London. This was a report sent to the government asking for an overhaul of fire regulation, essentially. And he's going to be facing questions, I think, about what he did and didn't do, more importantly, with the coroner's instruction to, to sort things out. Fire experts like Professor Ed Gallier say conventional wisdom in tackling fires in high-rise blocks may be flawed. We've seen stuff already, sort of internal documents within the government, that suggests that this review of building safety regulations after the six deaths at Lacanal had been postponed while the department focused its attention on other priorities. The lies were, oh, it's all right, we're doing a review. It'll be out in 2016-17. Really? Well, as we now know from a, 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 a note that's been revealed, <coughs> work had not even begun. Brandon Lewis, who's currently Northern Ireland Secretary and who was Fire Minister, be asked about his position on sprinklers. I mean, do you have any sense that that had anything to do with you? Well, we haven't seen the investigation yet. We In 2014, this was an issue that came up, and he said that he understood that sprinklers work, but he said that 
the one in two out rule, which was the approach that the government was taking to regulations at that time. If you want to bring in a new regulation, you've got to throw two out. That meant that, and I quote him, we want to exhaust all non-regulatory options before we introduce any new regulations. Gavin Barwell, now Lord Barwell, he was the housing minister. He had been warned just before the disaster by Danny Cotton, who was the commissioner of the London Fire Brigade, about mounting evidence of problems with the compartmentation in blocks of flats. In other words, that fires could be spreading in blocks of flats. And the consequent problem with the policy of telling people to stay put. So he was told about that. And I no doubt he will be asked about what he did or didn't do in response to those sorts of warnings. Back in December, Michael Gove, now the cabinet minister responsible for housing, apologised for government failures over the Grenfell fire. What did he say? He said that the government had failed people at Grenfell. We collectively, you know, the department, some in local government, others in the private sector, failed people. This was a statement in Parliament, actually, to select committee, and he said that on a couple of occasions, government had not necessarily appreciated the importance of fire safety and had not necessarily done everything in the wake of the Lacanal House tragedy that it should have done. Uh, the department is deeply sorry for its past failures in relation to the oversight... Then you got another apology before Christmas from the government's lawyer speaking to the inquiry, a man called Jason Beer QC, and he again said that the government was deeply sorry and conceded that it did not know how building safety regulations were being applied on the ground. He said the system failed. Uh, the public residents and indeed government trusted that those constructing and approving high-rise blocks and supplying the products used in them were following the law and doing the right thing. This trust was both misplaced and abused. Now, this apology was not welcomed by the bereaved and the survivors. Grenfell United, one of the families' groups, said that it was deeply offensive and it said that the government knew about these deadly materials but covered up the risk and it was enforcing a system of deregulation for financial gain. So it sounds like the government is apologising but still attempting to shift much of the blame elsewhere. Do the survivors and families of the victims have any confidence that those politicians who show up to give evidence in the coming weeks will be properly held to account? They do have some confidence in the process of the inquiry. They originally sceptical, they've warmed to the process, and I think they have confidence in Sir Martin Morbeck, the chairman of the inquiry, to weigh things up fairly dispassionately and you know, without fear or favour. So they may be held to account, almost certainly will be held to account, the problem is it's not going to be in the coming weeks that actually those conclusions are drawn. It's going to be well into next year. Um, so we start then with the witness statement of Tiago Alves, and he lived at flat 105 on floor 13. Uh -huh. um, he is studying undergraduate physics uh, at King's College London. Uh, now... 
Tiago, what does this inquiry mean to you? I didn't understand the reason for the inquiry at the beginning. I was skeptical of the need for an inquiry when it was first announced. Now, in his statement, he set out his recollection, his own recollection of the events of that night. I thought that everything that the inquiry would find out would be found out in a criminal investigation just as much. He says, I was standing on the grass area and could see smoke coming out of the fourth floor flat. There was a fire inside, which I could see behind the window. Then the frame fell out, and suddenly I could see smoke, and the fire burst out. But now, having had the ability to sit in in sessions, to be able to have listened to it as time progresses, I have been able to learn a lot of new things that I'm not really sure would have been addressed in a criminal investigation, mainly because a criminal investigation is trying to prove someone was at fault, whereas the inquiry is trying to find out what happened and how it happened and why it was allowed to happen. And I think that is important to figure out how to prevent it in the future. And tell us your name, first of all. Hello, everybody. Um, My name is Kareem Misohi. Um, I lost my uh, my uncle, Hisham Rahman, who lived on the uh, top floor of Grenfell Tower. Um, Look, the inquiry has been incredibly important at uncovering the truth. And this has also been massively important for some of the families. I know for some of them, just understanding who was involved and what happened. And even just coming into the inquiry and seeing some of these people's faces was massive for some of the families. It's okay with you. I'd like to to read something out. Um, So... I want to share with you my last memory of my uncle Hisham Rahman. Excuse me. You know, I wanted to see who these people were and look at all their reactions to, to the questions that they were being asked. But I mean, look, the inquiry has done a good job at uncovering the truth, but it all means nothing if we do nothing with this information. Coming up, as the Grenfell inquiry enters its final stage, what does it mean for the family's quest for justice? Rob, as this inquiry has been going on, one of the ongoing issues to emerge from the Grenfell tragedy is that flammable cladding is still covering high-rise buildings that thousands of people still live in across the country. And when these issues were identified, it wasn't the makers of the cladding or the construction firms that were told to pay to make these buildings safe. It was flat owners and leaseholders. And many of them suddenly got hit with these enormous bills. We've heard before on this podcast how much this affected people. But in recent weeks, the government has announced a change of direction. What's happening now? This is Michael Gove taking over and saying, I'm actually going to try and solve this crisis. As we know, there are still a small number of high-rise buildings with dangerous and unsafe cladding, which have to be fixed. What he said now is that he's going to force the developers to pay and he is going to threaten them and he's given a, an assurance in the House of Commons that leaseholders who are in these affected blocks 
won't have to pay for remediation works. And he said that that applies not just to cladding panels, but other fire safety faults which have been discovered inside buildings. Leaseholders are shouldering a desperately unfair burden. They're blameless, and it is morally wrong that they should be the ones asked to pay the price. Problem with this, of course, is that that's going to lead to a bill that could be five to ten billion extra on what the government has already pledged. And it's going to be a question of whether the government has to pony up that money, if you like, before getting it back, or are leaseholders going to have to wait until developers actually say, yes, we will pay. But documents seen by this programme raise the question as to how comprehensive a package this will actually be. You know, it is politics. They can't just you know, turn the developers upside down and shake them down and the money falls out of their pockets. They are going to have to use persuasion and threats, obviously, to make that happen. And it's certainly not a done deal. Newsnight has seen the letter from the Chief Secretary to the Treasury, Simon Clark, to Michael Gove. It sets out in detail what the Treasury will expect. One of the observations to make about Michael Gove's announcement of measures on cladding and also his apology to the uh, select committee is that it's a sign that the government is trying to get ahead of the criticism to come in the inquiry. It's clearly worried about that and it wants to set a new sort of tone which puts it on the side of the leaseholders and of course the Grenfell bereaved before potentially damaging stuff starts to come out of the public inquiry. And so Rob, going back to the inquiry which you've reported on, as you said, from its very start and watched thousands of hours of testimony, As we move into this final stretch, do you think it has achieved what it set out to do? I think it has, actually. I think what it's achieved is by showing just day by day and sort of email by email and document by document, and there's been over 300,000 documents disclosed now, what it's shown is how these terrible things happen, not just when one thing goes wrong or one person makes a bad decision. But when cultures build up over months and years that are driven by much bigger imperatives to do with economics and politics and that these cultures are allowed to go unchecked, that they can sort of grow in private. And I think that the evidence of that has been absolutely compelling in the inquiry. Uh, I think in the final analysis, it will probably give the bereaved and the survivors a very clear picture that what their instincts were about what caused this fire in the first place were right, which was that it was a systemic failure, that it was a political failure, and it wasn't solely a, a, a technical problem. I beg you, do not play a game with us. I beg you, do not tell us lies. I beg you, do not waste our time. The only regret will be that it probably hasn't explored the other issues around the politics of the Grenfell Tower fire in terms of this was social housing rather than private housing. Were they being treated particularly differently because of that, the fact that there was a different kind of racial mix in the building than in many other blocks. Was that a factor? Is that a factor in social housing more widely? And how do we as a nation treat people 
who live in social housing. It's not gone into those territories that many of the bereavement survivors might have wanted it to. But on balance, I think it's been a pretty impressive process. Well, for many survivors, this inquiry has been partly, of course, about finding how the Grenfell fire happened, but also about seeking some sort of justice. Are we any nearer to that now than when this inquiry started four and a half years ago? We are nearer to it, and it is requiring extraordinary patience on their behalf, on the community's behalf. We're nearer to it simply because everything that they're, they're surfacing in a Grenfell Tower inquiry you know, is potentially usable by the police in potential prosecutions. And it's in those prosecutions that the bereaved and survivors really put their hope of justice. The police at Scotland Yard have already said that they will be investigating potential corporate manslaughter charges, gross negligence manslaughter charges, health and safety offences. The frustration, of course, for the bereaved is that it's taking a long time to get to that point of weighing whether charges should be bought, partly because the police have determined that they need to wait until the publication of the final public inquiry conclusions, probably be towards the end of this year or early 2023. And that means they are going to have to show a lot more patience. For us, it's important that people must go to prison for this because otherwise things will never change. If there is no fear towards people within the building industry, people in government, people in local councils, if there is no fear that they could go to jail for allowing something of this tragic scale to happen, then what will stop from allowing this to happen again? Tiago, do you see Grenfell itself as a crime? I think... I would say yes. There is no doubts in my mind about it. There are people who are responsible for allowing things like this to happen. And if we were to say that Grenfell wasn't criminal, then what definitely is criminal is the fact that no one's done anything about it to change regulation, to remove this flammable material off the outside of buildings. Because we know what what can happen. Kareem, do you think justice will be done? Justice comes in, in, in many forms, right? Um, whether it's accountability, people go into prison, but also justice is making changes, whether it's in building regulation, whether it's in fire safety. This is also a form of justice. And we will not allow our families to be remembered for the way that they're being remembered today. I want our families to be remembered, obviously, for for that also, but for some positive change that came after it. And we're going to keep going until that happens. My thanks to Tiago Alves, Karim Musili, and Robert Booth. You can follow Robert's reporting and the latest from the Grenfell Inquiry at theguardian.com. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent, Sound design is by Axel Cacoutier. The executive producers are Phil Maynard and Mythley Rao. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.